I want to thank everyone for coming here to How to Acquire a Podcast. I am your host, Derek Moultrie, and we are entering into a new season of How to Acquire Podcasts, and I'm really excited uh, for what we have in store for you. Uh, This season may be a little different than some of the other seasons uh, in the past. Uh, We will still have guests, but we're really going to uh, do a deep dive each week into certain topics and information that we believe will help you learn how to acquire. Uh, I've noticed out in the investment and business space, a lot of the content that is out there is regurgitated information and it's filled with a lot of ego where we are grabbing celebrities or grabbing big names and we are putting a lot of bells and whistles on our content, but then when you actually listen to the content, you're not really getting anywhere. It's not really edifying. And I believe the best way to edify our people is through careful examination. For those who've never been here before, the concept of how to acquire comes from a quote. I'll share that with you now. Uh, For those who want to see the full video, Uh, You can watch this on Spotify uh, if you would like to see the video of this conversation. I will be making references throughout this entire time on this episode and episodes in the future uh, to what I'm looking at on the screen that is in front of me. And uh, to watch the screen, you'll need to um, go on Spotify in order to do that. But it's not required, but it may enjoy you may enjoy the conversation a little bit better. Uh, doing it that way. Uh, So we're about to share the screen now, and I'm going to uh, show you what I uh, have found. Uh, So first, I want to talk about uh, where did this quote come from? How did we start how to acquire? Uh, It actually comes from this quote right here. Uh, There's this really famous quote, but no one seems to know who you know, made it up. I think it was in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but no one knows like where the source came from. At least some, at least I haven't found anyone who knows the source. And I typically read it backwards. So I read, typically I'll say the poor teach their kids how to buy. The rich teach their kids how to sell. And the wealthy, they teach their children how to acquire. And so welcome to a new season of how to acquire podcast. And if this is your first time tuning in, you're a new listener, go back and listen to season one. We talked to some really great people, online acquisitions, storage facilities, um, lenders. We really uh, dived into some really great topics And now I want to use this season. We laid a really great foundation uh, for how to acquire. But now I want to use this season to pull uh, from uh, the headlines, but also uh, pull up from some of the people who are already uh, out there that may be in frequency with the things that we want to do and see what they're teaching us. You know, what I realized 
I was sitting, I was sitting one day and I was uh, watching different interviews. I love to watch a really great interview. I was watching interviews with people where they were sitting down and talking to some of the biggest names in different fields, you know, entertainers or whatever it may be. Right. And I noticed something. A lot of times they'll sit there and they'll talk to these people and have really great conversations, but then they don't actually apply those things to their everyday life. So the very thing that they're learning isn't even something that they're grasping or fully comprehending. Uh, So they'll hear this nugget and say, wow, that's really great. And then as soon as they um, they're done recording and they go to live their life, they're actually doing the exact opposite. Right. So what we want to do is not necessarily uh, share our philosophies. We want to embody them. Uh, So I want to be able to uh, pull up the people who are teaching us and then apply it right away and then show our audience, you, the listener, well, how can I apply it to you're right along with the journey. I want everybody to be able to do whatever it is that they want to do in the world of acquisitions. Uh, for those who don't know uh, my background, I am an, a private investor and I am in the mergers and acquisition space. Uh, also, I host a uh, podcast called Black Equity Podcast, and I built a uh, online media publishing company, uh, Black Equity Network, and also Acquisitions Network. Acquisitions Network uh, is actually the um, publishing company for this particular podcast. And then from other podcasts, we have Black Equity Network. And I am in the world of acquiring uh, in the areas of uh, publishing and media. And then also I have uh, interest in um, uh, aerospace, um, hospitality, and um, not necessarily entertainment. Um, But I have seen some really great opportunities in the gaming industry, per se. Uh, So just just a little bit of background about me. And it's kind of fluid. I try to pick areas that of interest that can kind of go into almost anything. Um, Just to understand my my background in school, I uh, studied marketing in undergrad. And my graduate degree was in acquisitions. And I, um, as soon as I graduated, I was trying to reach out to all these different people to learn about acquisitions. I said, wow, this is a really great opportunity to um, network and build with people. And I've kind of hit a wall. Because um, what I found out was when people can see that you're like, going somewhere they don't really want you to be better than them so they'll try to put like stumbling blocks in front of you and they'll purposely not try to help you and so I just kind of smile and know that that more than likely is going to be a person that ends up helping me whether they like it or not Um, so um, I came in the game with a lot of love and a lot of heart and I still have a lot of love and a lot of heart um, but I've been scarred in this game I've been scarred uh, by people that I looked up to and I cared about and I thought that they would be uh, people that would openly embrace me. 
but it's not quite that way in this game. Uh, there are some people who have embraced me. It's been, I would say it's been 1090, right? Where 10% of people that I talk to, maybe even a little less, have openly embraced me and wanted to share this information. Believe it or not, I believe that this information, not just on this episode, but on last season and episodes to come, I believe this is the information that is the highest level of information uh, as far as this planet, this society on building wealth. This is the information that we need to be studying and paying attention to. That's what I have found. Others would say, no, it's, you know, peace and tranquility and all this other stuff. And, you know, I could see that nature. I could see all that. But when I was a, a, a kid, which I could still argue, that I have that uh, that same imagination as a kid. When I was a kid, I would tell people like, yo, one day I want to own like 10 companies and uh, travel the world. That was like my thing. And people would look at me like I was crazy. I had no idea what mergers and acquisitions meant or what acquisitions is or how to acquire or anything like that. It was just a, a thing of mine. I thought I would... I, I thought I would actually own the 10 and like kind of like go go to each business and, and run them. I had no idea that I will, you know, it could be an opportunity just to hire somebody, put them in a position and kind of step back. I didn't really see that as an investor. I saw it more of an entrepreneurial mindset where I was actually in the business. And so since then, of course, 20 something years later, uh, I've kind of changed my philosophy on how to approach that. And that's how we have what we have today. By no means am I trying to pretend to be some big shot who has done all these extravagant things. I'm a baby uh, in this particular space. I am learning. Um, I I am not trying to be, oh, I'm bigger than everyone. And um, you can't, you know, you can't teach me anything. No, teach me. I'm still learning this thing and trying to figure it out. Um, but there are things that I've found. And one thing about me, I'm, I'm really great at digging and researching and finding what I believe to be a resemblance of the truth. And so I leverage that skill set to be able to do that. Okay. Now I've pulled up some things already and I want to get into them. Um, Something, uh, by the way, some of the things that I will do are a little unorthodox. They may not appear to relate, but they relate for me. And so you can decide for yourself if they resonate with you. Um, I wanted to, before we begin, I wanted to uh, search up some ideas. And uh, one of the podcasts that I believe is one of the best podcasts out there, I don't know if they're ranked number one. I know there is this weird thing where people want to be ranked number one and have a top three podcast. And the content will tell me that, right? The content, whether you're, whether the numbers and the viewers, you know, whether that tells you if you have a top podcast or not, that's one thing. But what really is going to tell me if you have a top podcast is the content as I'm listening, as I'm jogging, as I'm walking, as I'm sharing it, 
as I'm studying, as I'm taking notes, that will tell me, in my opinion. Uh, so my one of my favorite podcasts is We Study Billionaires, right? We Study Billionaires. And what I really love about them, yeah, We Study Billionaires, Investors Podcast Network. Uh, what I like about uh, what they're doing is it's really not a lot of bells and whistles. We Study Billionaires podcast hosted by Sting and Trey. It's a flagship podcast of the Investor Podcast Network with more than 85 million downloads. On the show, on the show, they interview and study famous financial billionaires, including Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, Bill Gates, and they teach you what, what they learn and how you can apply their investment strategies in the stock market. I bring that up because I'm going to be doing something similar on this season. Um, just full disclosure. I don't want anyone to say, oh, well, I've seen that done before. I'm going to be studying not just not just billionaires. I'm going to be studying billionaire ideas or billion billion dollar companies or um where the money is flowing. I'm going to be studying. That's what we're that's what we're gonna be doing. But it won't just be for the start market, really. It'll be more for uh, mergers, acquisitions, and also as an independent investor, how do we maneuver in this game? Okay. And so on today's episode, my overall goal is to talk about high growth industries, right? Uh, I got this idea from Michael E. Chen, and we're going to look up his information. It says here he's a chairman of Portland Holdings, entrepreneur and philanthropist, uh, tells you his LinkedIn information, his Twitter. This is all on his Instagram. I'm not revealing anything. And there's some posts that he has that I want to go through that I thought have been awesome for my journey. And I want to share that. Uh, I believe that as I share the information that I come across, then that means there'll be room for more information uh, to be shared to me. And it always works that way. As soon as uh, I'm done sharing something, uh, I'll find myself uh, being introduced to new concepts. So let's see if we can pull, see if we can pull up uh, Michael E. Chen and see if we can just get like a bio on him, right? Oh, here it is. Portland Holdings. Oh, that's his LinkedIn. Um, let's see if there's any information there. I just wanted to give a little bit of background before I look at some of his posts on Instagram and start studying. All right. Michael E. Chen, chairman of Portland Holdings, uh, Burlington, Ontario, Canada. Oh, here we go. This is what I'm looking for. We get it right from him. All right. So we were looking to connect with uh, Michael Lee Chen, chairman of Portland Holdings, a private held investment company that manages public and private equity and has ownership interests in a collection of diversified businesses operating in sectors that include financial services, insurance, media, tourism, agriculture, real estate development, and targeted radio nuclide therapy. Okay. Michael has received a doctor of law degrees from a number of distinguished universities in Canada and Jamaica. He's a recipient of the Order of Jamaica and the Order of Ontario. He served as Chancellor of Winfred Laurier University from 2011 to 2016. In 2016, Michael was appointed chair of the government of Jamaica's Economic Growth Council. 
So that's awesome. Um, that's really a great uh, summary for his bio. Um, so I wanted to pull up one of his posts that I've always really enjoyed. And I think it's time. I think, look, I posted here. That's me, DJM Impact. So 23 weeks ago, I asked him a question. I don't think I ever got a, a response, but hey, it is what it is. At least I tried. I said, thank you. Can you explain? Can you expand on something, right? So five laws, and that's pretty cool that that's sitting right there. So, you know, I'm not making any of this up. This is something I've been studying. Okay. That's me, DJM Impact, if you want to follow me on socials. Uh, And then also, if you want to follow the podcast, you can follow Acquisitions Network. But here are the five laws of wealth creation. So go ahead and get your notes ready. Go ahead and grab your pen. Five Laws of Wealth Creation, straight from Michael Lee Chen. This isn't from me. A lot of the stuff that you're going to hear me talk about is not from me. I want it to be a third party that is a proven third party. You don't even have to worry if if I'm, you know, adding uh, you know, my sauce on it, which I will give my opinion on some of the things that I'm noticing. Um, but for the most part, the information I'm going to be providing to you is a study on what's already out there. I'm just researching and looking at it and handing you what I deem to be valuable information. Whether you value it or not, I can't do anything about that. Whether you act on it or not, I can't do anything about that. All I can do is do my part and my job, and it is to shine light on what I believe to be wisdom. So here we are, five laws of wealth creation. All right, own a few high quality businesses. Number two, that you thoroughly understand. Uh, Domiciled in strong long-term growth industries. Use other people's money prudently bought at attractive valuations and held. So I want to take each one, own a few high quality businesses. So let's look at the language. We're going to take this post and dissect it, if that is okay. Okay, so, and we have our list here of all the billionaires in the world. And we're going to, as this season goes, goes on, we're going to look at all the billionaires that we gravitate towards and study them. And, and similar to what we're doing with Michael Lee Chen, how he has his post, I believe that all these people have been providing us, whether it be a newsletter, courses, Instagram posts, they're all telling us something. All we have to do is tap into the frequency that we want and then leverage that for our own world, right? So Michael Lee Chen says, own a few high quality businesses, okay? So I'm going to pull up the word few. I know that is not alarming. <laughs> like, why are we starting there? I want to know what does, what does a few, how much is a few? That's what I want to know. A small number of, okay, few. How much 
is a few. While many would agree that few means three or more, the dictionary, diction, dictionary definition is not many, but more than one. So a few cannot be one, but it can be as low as two. Okay. Is four a few or several? Verdict in common use, several is often more than a couple and a few. Though it is sometimes the same as both and occasionally more than a few. We hope that not a few of you were able to make sense of it all. How much is a few? How many is a few? A few is generally considered to mean between two and several. Some people use a few to mean around three, but this is not a universal interpretation. Its meaning is highly relative to the context. It often depends on what's being discussed, especially the scale and ex expectations. What, is, what does it mean to be a few? Consisting or amounting to only a small number, one of our few pleasures, at least some but intermittently small in number, used with, a caught, used with caught a few fish, few and far between, few in number. Is six a few or several? She thinks a few refers to maybe two to three times, while several refers to maybe three to six. Her husband says a few is four to seven. Few is opposite of many. It derives from words having the meaning of small and little. It is related to Latin uh, pocus, little or few. Okay, I'm just going, I, why am I looking at that? Because I don't want, if we're going to target a potential acquisition of any sort, we need to know exactly what we're looking for. And so if we're following Michael Lee Chin's wisdom here, we need to do it in a way that makes sense for us. Now, this isn't the most exciting thing. I'm not trying to get you pumped up. I'm trying to get you to think critically. Own a few high quality businesses. So for me, and me only, a few is going to be anywhere between three to seven. And I actually would just, and when I say in between, I really just mean three to six. Because if it's several, to me, several means seven. I mean, the word several, seven is in several. So I'm going to say three to six. To me, two would be a couple. A few would be small in number, but it wouldn't be as much as several. So several companies to me would be like seven to 10. And then many would be 10 or more. In my opinion, you can do with it however you like. You can play with that however you want. So I want to make sure that with Michael Lee Chin's information, I'm tapping into a certain frequency. That's what we're doing here. I wouldn't be surprised that after this podcast, I get a phone call and it leads to an opportunity because we're tapping into a certain frequency from a billionaire, right? And by the way, I showed you his, his page, right? But I don't think I actually, not that this actually is uh, the end all be all of character. But I just wanted to 
because um, I don't think we confirm that he's actually a billionaire. Here he is, Michael Lee Chen Forbes. Michael Lee Chen on the t- t- 2022 billionaires. Michael Lee Chen made a fortune investing in financial companies like National Commercial Bank of Jamaica. So j- there you go. Just so you know, because I know you were saying, well, I thought we were studying billionaires. Did we even confirm that he's a billionaire? If you trust Forbes uh, and their information, he, they're saying he's a billionaire. He's one of the few uh, black billionaires in the world. Okay. So that is who he is. Uh, so you know why we're pulling from this information. We're studying billionaires, similar to one of my favorite podcasts. Okay. But we're doing it our way. We're, we're, I don't know if they've even sat down with Michael Legion or studied him. So I'm going to be studying the people that maybe have been forgotten or not being being paid attention to that are in frequency with me. So the first law of wealth creation is own a few quality businesses. I'm going with three to six next that you thoroughly understand. So let's look up the word thoroughly. <laughs> you should be looking at uh, opportunities that you already have been dealing with no matter where you are in, in your journey. If you work in retail, maybe you should acquire in retail or something with customer service thoroughly in a thorough manner, very much greatly. Something that you understand very much greatly. So I'm in the media space, right? Media and publishing. So I understand that very thoroughly. Okay. Also, I'm in the aviation space. I understand that very thoroughly. I've been studying aviation since a child. Um, So media, publishing, aviation. You have to decide for yourself through your journey, what are you into, right? And so I'll sit there and I'll listen to someone teach something but in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, I have to take that information and apply it to my world. Okay. Okay. So media, publishing, aviation, those are mine. These are what I understand thoroughly. Okay. Um, oh, gaming. I understand the gaming world. That's something I've been doing since a child. I understand it thoroughly. Do you understand where I'm coming with this? I understand it greatly. So therefore, that's what I'll be paying attention to. You have to then take that and decide for yourself, what is it you understand thoroughly? Uh, This is the question I asked. Thank you. Can you expand on docimiled? So let's look at that word and see what does it mean in business? Because I asked the question, uh, 23 weeks ago, some people would say, man, just Google it. I think I did Google it. And I just wanted to get it from the person who wrote it. Uh, treat a specified country as a permanent home. So in relation to docimal and strong long-term growth industries, own a few quality businesses that you thoroughly understand, docimal, and so that's, that is saying uh, treat a specified country as a permanent home, reside or based. So docimal means reside or based. That's what we can go with. 
I really wanted to get more specific just to make sure, but we can go with that. So it is based in strong long-term growth industries. What, what is a long-term growth industry, right? Long-term growth industry. We're doing this on the spot, y'all. I, I didn't come with, oh, I got all the answers. No, we. I want to show you that all you have to do is dig a little deeper and the information is right in front of you. What is a long-term growth industry? Here it is. What is a long-term growth? What is long-term growth of a company? What is long-term growth? It's a long-term growth industry. Let's see if we can find out at least what the definition is before we try to dive into what uh, what we want to invest in. What is a long-term growth company? Long-term growth is an investment strategy that aims to increase the value of a portfolio over a multi-year time frame. Although long-term is a relative to the investor's time horizons and individual styles, generally long-term growth is meant to create above market returns over a period of 10 years or more. Okay, so we're looking for companies that will create above market returns over a period of 10 years or more. What I love about what we're doing is we're not giving any particular investment advice. This is really about finding your frequency and your vibe for what works best for you. Right. We're not shoving something down your throat and saying you have to do this. Right. So we want. Generally, a long-term growth is meant to create above market returns over a period of 10 years or more. So we want to pick industries that are going to give us above market returns for 10 years or more. Above market, I'm writing this down with you. So write this down. Above market returns for 10 years or more. Okay, so how do we find those? See how we're going, see how we're researching. We're all, we've done, all we've done is pulled up one post where three, where there's five laws and we're on the third law and we've really dissected this thing. We're dissecting this thing down to by the time that we're done with this, you should be able to take the information we have, go find what you want to do and then implement it for yourself. All right, so it's located in strong long-term growth industries. Well, what is that? What is a what is a long-term growth industry? Best sectors to invest in long-term. Uh, let's look at this. Global long-term growth industries. What do we find? There's a really great tool that you can use. Which industries are growing globally? Global, fastest growing industries by revenue percentage. Right? So we want it uh, above market returns. And so there's this really great company, our website called IBS, IBISworld.com. Global fastest growing industries by revenue growth in 2022, based on expert analysis and our database. So what I would say is this is one source. I would cross-reference this with five other sources and see which ones work for you. And so I am going to then look at these 
industries and then decide for myself which ones are aligned with, remember, the high quality businesses that I thoroughly understand. Where would I be able to find companies that are high quality that I would understand? So out of the, out of the uh, company or the industries that are high growth, I then have to kind of dig deeper and figure out, well, which ones do I understand? And you know what? One pops up right here. Matter of fact, I'll make sure that we have this link on the show notes. Okay. We'll put those uh, on the show notes. Uh, So look, number one is a global airport operation. Well, that fits for my aviation, doesn't it? So that could be something I do. Global hotels and resorts. Earlier, I mentioned hospitality, right? So we could do something with that. Global travel agency, global tourism, global airlines, global casino and uh, gambling. So that could be my gaming, depending on how I look at it. Global commercial aircraft manufacturing, global deep sea coastal inland water transportation. Global oil, gas exploration and production. Global reinsurance carriers. Now, there was something that he said on here. He said long-term growth industries. Oh, I think it was on a, a, a different website. They were saying long-term growth meant above market returns. Right? So what is above market returns? Above market returns. What does that mean? Excess returns are returns achieved above and beyond the return of a proxy. Excess returns will depend on a designated investment return comparison for analysis. Some of the most basic return comparisons include a riskless rate and benchmarks with similar levels of risk and investment being analyzed. What does market return mean? The market return is defined as the wealth-weighted sum of all investment returns in the economy. So what is average market returns because I want above average. So what is average? Boom. Well, this is stock market. So, but we'll see. Average market returns, the average stock market return is about 10% per year for nearly the last century. So we want long-term growth industries and long-term growth industries are going to typically be better than the average return, which is typically 10% per year. So when we come down here, average revenue growth, anything that is not above 10%, we may want to stay away from. Or that might be the industry average, but inside of, inside of here, when we actually go look at the companies, there may be a company that has a high, you know, this is the average, but there may be one that has one that's higher than 10. But there may be others that only have five and it's weighing it down to eight. Right? And so this is why they're saying that these are high growth industries. Am I making sense here? Okay, so we go to the next one. Use other people's money prudently. So who are other people's money? Who are the players when it comes to other people's money? And then we'll look at the word prudently. 
What does that mean? Other people's money? Who, what, when? What does other people's money mean? Financial leverage. Other people's money, OPM, is a slang term referring to financial leverage, whereby using borrowed capital is possible to increase the potential returns, but also increase the risk of an investment. Whereby using borrowed capital. So let's look at that. What is borrowed capital? Who do we get the borrowed capital from? Borrowed capital meaning. Borrowed capital is money that is borrowed from others, either individuals or banks to make an investment. Equity capital is owned by the company and shareholders and is opposite of borrowed capital. Ah, so see, I think it's always important to know what the opposite of what we're looking for is so we stay away from it. If we want to follow these five rules or the yeah, five laws, use other people's money prudently. Okay, borrowed capital is money that is borrowed from others either individuals or banks to make an investment. Either individuals or banks to make an investment. Equity capital is owned by the company and shareholders and is the opposite of borrowed capital. So if you use the equity capital, that goes against what the five laws of wealth creation are. Use other people's money prudently. Where would we find individuals? Who who would just lend us money? So who lends money? A lender is a person or business that loans money. If you need cash to get your lemonade stand up and running, you'll have to find a lender and borrow $20. So where could we go to get individuals who we can prudently uh, invest their money. Matter of fact, what does prudently mean? In ways, in a way that shows care and thought for the future. Boom. A lot of people have no care at all. They have no thought for the future. They just want good returns. So a key to all of this is, do you have a caring heart? What are you going to do with that money? How, what, what are you going to do prudently with that money? We're taking one post from one guy and we're dissecting it. And we thank Michael Lee Chen for putting this out here. This is for the world to see. 323 likes. You can go somewhere else right now with information that ain't all that. And it has millions of likes. 323 likes right now. And he's giving you the five laws of wealth creation. We have to be able to get rid of the noise and find the truth. Use other people's money prudently. So if I was, who are the individual investors? Individual investors. What does that look like? A retail investor, also known as an individual investor. Remember the other the other definition said find an individual investor or a bank is a non-professional investor who buys and sells securities or funds that contain a basket of securities such as mutual funds. What? Oh, here we go. What are the three types of investors? Three types of investors. Pre-investors, this is a catch-all term for people who are not yet begun investing, passive investors, and active investors. 
which is best for your business. So if we're using other people's money, they're probably looking at us as the active investor, right? We're actively finding the company, finding opportunities. And so we're more than likely looking for a passive investor. A passive investor, passive investors limit the amount of hands on management they personally provide to assets they own, adopting a buy and hold mentality that they expect to pay off in the long run. Well, that's perfect. We're looking for something that, what, 10 years or more. We're looking for a return for the next 10 years. So we want someone who's going to be a passive investor. Instead of playing an active role in the management of a company, a passive investor will defer to management team's operational and financial decisions. Management team would then be you if you decide to be, or if you're a passive investor, then you would find someone like me and invest. This is commonly the case for investors who do not own a controlling stake in the company they invest in. Passive investors usually invest in companies with management teams they believe in and rely on those teams for expertise and guidance. Oh, who is this? Oh, angel investors. Angel investors are kind of passive investors. These are high net worth individuals looking for brand new businesses and startups that they believe will perform well in the long run long run. Often these businesses are so small and new that they have not yet started producing any profits. As a result, angel investors can make hundreds of times their initial investment when they choose a successful asset. However, angel investing comes with a great deal of risk. Angel investors don't often, uh, I'm sorry, angel investors often don't have any real control over how companies are run and there are no guarantees that a startup will ever become an industry leader. Beyond informal influence over company leadership, angel investors have little say in whether a startup succeeds or fails. Active investors take hands-on approach in managing their portfolios. These are investors who want to exert influence on the way their assets are run. In a private equity context, active investors may bring in, a, bring in new people and help bolster management teams and assertively make structural changes to the way the company works. So you have to decide which one you're going to be in this thing. As a passive investor, you're still looking for the same thing as an active investor as far as the investment, but you, you may not want your, you may not want to have that control or be in it on a day-to-day. So typically, I'm an active investor. I want to be able to find the company and do the things I want to do. What I have found is as a passive investor, I like to, I like to be able to have a say. That's just the way I am. Now, that doesn't mean that I'll never have a passive investment, but it may not be for this particular criteria. It may be for something more short, shorter term. That's what typically I will look at. If something is shorter term, perhaps I'll do the passive. For something long term, I'm an active investor. I want to know what's going on. Venture capital firms, look, they're pulling out all the players. Venture capital firms are a type of active investor. These firms invest in businesses a little later in the development life cycle than angel investors. And the typical venture capital case, the business already has a proven business model in a place and many already may already be generating revenue. However, it needs more resources to scale its operations sufficiently for generating significant profits. Private equity firms. Look for mature, well-established businesses to invest in. Many cases, they seek a majority stake in businesses and use proven leadership skills to improve business performance over time. This strategy is usually less risky than venture capital or angel investment, especially 
with a private equity firm takes a majority stake and brings its own management experience to the table. So those are, those are some of the players when it comes to where we're going to find these, where we're going to find other people's money. Okay, we're going to find other people's money and use it prudently. Bought at attractive valuations and held. I'm going to tell you something that was told to me years ago, and I want to pass it on. See if this quote is out there. The information I will share to me is you make money on the buy, not the sell. You make money. The common saying in real estate is investing. You make money when you buy, not when you sell. This means that your purchase price is the main factor that determines your profit later on. You can't rely on appreciating markets, wishful thinking, or construction coming in under budget to create your profit margin. You can't rely on appreciating markets. I've seen where a lot of the conversations about, man, I just love, you know, this particular asset class, uh, especially real estate, uh, the appreciation. We can't rely on that. If it comes, that's great, right? For those who don't know, uh, we can't rely on appreciating market. So let's look at what that means. What does appreciating market mean? What is a market valuation appreciation? Appreciation occurs when the market value of an asset is higher than the price an investor paid for the asset. It can refer to an increase in value of real estate, stocks, bonds, or any other class of investment assets. So the market itself raises the price or the value on that particular asset above what we paid for, right? So we may buy something for $5, but the market now says, hey, that's not worth $5. It's worth $15. And magically, our $5 investment is now $15 of investment. And we're, we're up. And so what I'm saying is you can't rely on that. It's not even me saying it. It's our research. You're sitting here with me watching. We can't rely on that. Uh, so uh, Michael Lee Chen is saying bought at attractive valuations and held. Those are the five laws of wealth creation. The five laws of wealth creation. And we found this by trying to figure out what is long-term growth industries mean. What is a high growth industry? And one of the sources we found was right here in IBIS world. And you can find the fastest growing industries. And those aren't the only ones. You can find whatever, uh, and see, I did global. So you can actually pinpoint it down to a specific country. What is the high growth industry in, you know, let's do one. What is the high growth industry in, well, hey, we just were talking to or looking at Michael E. Chin. So let's do Jamaica. What is the fastest growing sector in Jamaica? The service sector is the fastest growing segment of world trade, and Jamaica is thinking strategically about where its current and potential advantages are in the market. But in 1994, the service sector declined by 1.5%, while the productive sector grew by 1% in the same year. What is the biggest industry? High growth industry in Jamaica. First of all, we need to spell Jamaica right. Jamaica, there we go. 
So let's see. What is the biggest industry? Tourism. Remember, do we still have the other one up? One of the global industries to look at was tourism. What is the fastest growing sector? The service sector. What are some of the major industries in Jamaica? Tourism, agriculture, mining, manufacture are largest industries, contributing about 36, 30%, 6%, 4%, 29% of GDP. Now, here we go. High growth markets. KPMG Jamaica. Global High Growth Markets Outlook 2015. It's a little, you know, this is some years ago, but this is, this is just good uh, practice here to see who are the who are the high growth industries. With high growth market economies now representing more than 50% of the world's GDP, they will continue to be an important long-term investment strategy for international businesses. Okay, they're just saying that they know who they are. They know where to find them. They're not telling us who it is. Emerging industries in Jamaica. Yeah, it looks like the is heavily relying on the services industry, accounting for seventy percent of GDP. So I would be interested in seeing what that return is per year. But in that particular country, service industry is the the uh, focus. So each country is going to have something different. On a global scale, I just showed you some of the top global ones. But then when you get to a particular country, you have to kind of fine tune and see, well, where am I looking? What country should I be investing in? Right? So earlier we were talking about uh, the global high growth industries, what I would do is find which countries, like I would find out of these 10, I would find the countries that th they specialize in this particular area. And that may be somewhere I need to invest. That's, that's the area that they are uh, either it's an emerging market in that particular area, or it's an established market in that particular area. On the global scale, these are the fastest growing industries. But what is it like when we go down to more of a micro level in that particular area? So these are some of the ways that we can approach our research and what we're looking for. Michael Lee Chin gives us the five laws of wealth creation. We've now decided on what industries that we want to go with after we've done uh, you know, we showed you IBIS world, but there may be others. Do your research, find uh, which companies you want to invest in. And then come back for the next episode. On the next episode of How to Acquire Podcast, we dive into well, what do we do then? So we find our high growth industries. Michael Lee Chen tells us what we need to do, but how do we actually position ourselves? How do we get ourselves uh, at the table of some of these really great opportunities? Well, you'll find out on the next uh, episode of How to Acquire Podcast. Uh, don't forget, the poor teach their children how to buy, the rich teach their children how to sell, and the wealthy, they teach their children how to acquire. Now, some special bonus content. Uh, I was looking at 
this uh, quote. One of my favorite shows is The Wire. I've gone back and forth on uh, who has the best show of all time. Uh, I always find that the, the wire is pretty cool. Why am I bringing this up? Because uh, as I was researching or getting ready for today's episode, I was thinking about how wonderful it is to be able to publish content and get this out to the people. And I was thinking about this last quote from The Wire. There's this huge wall uh, at the newsroom. And that's kind of how the season ends with this huge quote. And it talks about the life of kings. And it says, as I look back over a misspent life, I find myself more and more convinced that I had more fun doing news reporting than in any other enterprise. It is really the life of kings. Uh, they say here is a quote very specific to the newspaper arc running through the fifth season, but nonetheless very powerful. It is an affirmation that what we do, what we love has value, even if our lives are misspent. Not just that, this quote is a reminder that The Wire has never uh, was never about just one thing. It was always about everything that surrounded Baltimore. Uh, Mickens' quote is fitting, poignant note to open the series finale on. Uh, I, so I was thinking about that quote, and I said, what is that quote again? So I was reading that, and then it said the top 15 quotes, right? And so a man must have a code. So for me, this is a man or a woman must have a code. What is your code? What do you live by? Michael Lee Chin lives by his five laws of wealth creation. You don't have to adopt this. You could decide, man, I'm not only only doing a few, I'm doing two or I'm doing 20 or whatever. I find that this is pretty solid. I, I could adjust some things. Uh, yeah, I can adjust some things. Uh, the only thing that, that could be adjust adjusted is own a few high quality businesses. Maybe it could be several. And then also that you thoroughly understand, you may be able to surround yourself with other people who thoroughly understand it. So I would add that to it maybe for my code, but you have to have a code. You don't have to, but I would strongly suggest what is your code? What is your thing? Right? Uh, let's get back to the quotes here. Where did my wire quote go? There it goes. A man must have a code. The next top 15 quote is, the thing about the old days, they are the old days. So in terms of this conversation, what you used to do is no longer what you're going to be doing, even though it's going to appear that you're doing something similar. So remember, we're looking at industry that you thoroughly understand, but you're no longer going to be working on the level you were working before, you're going to be working on a new level. But although you're going to be working on the new level, stay humble. Don't lose yourself out here. As you acquire, as you uh, move up, don't forget where you came from. Number four, we ain't got a dream no more, man. This comes from, what was that, like season three? I'm not even sure. But, uh, Stringer tells Avon, we don't have to dream anymore because they're now living the reality. We're now living the reality. Everybody who's underneath the sound of my voice, you've been wanting to do this for quite some time or you're already doing this, right? We don't have to dream no more. We can live it. Next uh, quote from The Wire, 
You know the difference between me and you. I bleed red and you bleed green. Woo. So Avon Barksdale is talking to Stringer Bell, I believe. Oh, let's look at it. While season two shifts the main focus on a Barksdale organization to the docks, a former doesn't stop being a storyline. It's pushed into the background with Avon now in prison. But the focus instead shifts to Stringer starting his little rise to power, slowly wrestling control away from Avon's grasp. Come season three, Avon is released and tensions are naturally high. All seasons, the two butt heads. Shring no longer able to work with Avon as he once did. Avon points out his ideological difference clearly. Where Avon bleeds red, Stringer bleeds green. Money and business is the bottom line for Stringer, no matter what. And he's forgotten the roots that once grounded him. Woo! You're going to meet people on this journey, and I've met people on this journey. They are all about the money all about the money and i'm not going to say you should be more like avon because he was ready to go to war and fight over fight over corners um but he was really fighting over principles stay principled my friends stay principled don't let that money the money is cool and all but it ain't everything we used to make shit in this country, build shit. Now we just put our hand in the next guy's pocket. Yeah. Um, that was from season two. Oh, oh, season four it says the wire becomes full of Greek strategy, tragedy heading into season two. Although this has annihilated more than f- a few fans, many diehards consider the second season to be one of the wire's best uh, written right up there with season four. It's not particularly hard to see why. Frank Sabaka's plight is easy to sympathize with and a dark, dark contrast rather interestingly with the Brockstone organization from season one. Come the end of season two, Frank is beaten down by the system with no real hope or help. He laminates on how the country has changed, how the culture has changed. There's no longer a sense of solidarity within communities with people instead of operating on their own self-gain. I really credit this podcast because a lot of people are out here trying to get, put their hand in the next guy's pocket. They're trying to steal other people's ideas, uh, make money off of other people instead of having a sense of their own. And um, yeah, that's a stop. Uh, Here we go. Omar Little is in a courtroom and he tells the lawyer, I got the shotgun. You got the briefcase. It's all in the game though, right? A lot of times we're all playing the same game. We're just using different tools uh, that are in front of us to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. And so you have a lawyer, you know, questioning this guy who steals uh, from drug dealers and he's saying, you're a bad guy, right? As a matter of fact, we can pull that up. Uh, a quick synopsis of that moment. That was really one of, one of my favorite moments from The Wire. This stuff matters. It may not matter to you, but it matters to me, these quotes, because there's something to it when we're talking about how to acquire it, to keep you kind of level-headed. 
Um, you, I got the shotgun. You got the briefcase. Let's see if we can get that one. Can I ask why you, Mr. Little? Can I ask why you came forward in this case? I told the police what I know. Were you offered anything in exchange? Like what? Were you arrested? Were you going to be charged with a crime and by testifying, did the police agree to drop those charges? No, man, ain't even about that. How many times have you been arrested as an adult, Mr. Little? Sure, I done lost count. Not doing that to take it personal. Possession of a handgun, possessing a concealed weapon, assault by pointing, robbery, deadly weapon, possession of a handgun again, followed by violation of parole on weapon charges, followed by one count of attempted murder and use of a handgun in commission of a felony. That wasn't no attempt murder. What was it, Mr. Little? I shot the boy Mike Mike in his hind parts, that all. <laughs> Fixed it so he couldn't sit right. Why'd you shoot Mike Mike in his, um, his hind parts, Mr. Little? I say we had a disagreement. A disagreement over? Well, you see, Mike Mike thought he should keep that cocaine he was slinging and the money he was making from slinging it. I thought otherwise. So you rob drug dealers? This is what you do? Yes, sir. You walk the streets of Baltimore? with a gun, taking what you want, when you want it, willing to use violence when your demands aren't met. This is who you are. Why should we believe your testimony, then? Why believe anything you say? That's up to y'all, really. You say you aren't here testifying against the defendant because of any deal you made with police. True that. That you're here because you... you you want to tell the truth about what happened to Mr. Gant in that housing project parking lot? Yep. When, in fact, you are exactly the kind of person who would, if you felt you needed to, shoot a man down on a housing project parking lot and then lie to the police about it, would you not? Hey, look, I ain't never put my gun on no citizen. You are a moral, are you not? You are feeding off the violence and the despair of the drug trade. You're stealing from those who themselves are stealing the lifeblood from our city. You are a parasite who leeches off Just like you, the culture man. of drugs. Excuse me? What? I got the shotgun. You got the briefcase. It's on the game, though, right? It's a great scene because this guy is trying to persecute him. And tell, say you're not a really great guy. You're leeching off. You're leeching off of uh, off of the community. You're hurting our people. You are underhanded. And really, the lawyer is doing the same thing. I bring that up to say, don't get to the point where you think you're better than other people. All in the game, though, right? He says that again on this quote. All in the game, you're all in the game. There's a game out here being played and you got to pay attention. Um, one more. Uh, I think we got two more quotes. Well, you know what I, what they say, stupid criminal makes stupid cops. I'm proud to be chasing this guy. So he's proud to be chasing the very best, right? 
And so what I would encourage you to do is as you're building your world and as you're learning to acquire, work with the best, study the best. And that's where you're going to get the best information from. Don't study these idiots out here who don't know what they're talking about, who aren't doing proper research. Uh, number 10, man, money ain't got no owners, only spenders. The money is for the taking, right? Nobody owns the money. There's an opportunity for everyone to go out here and go get it. But make sure you do it ethically. Make sure you do it the right way. Uh, you come at the king, you best not miss. I mean, it's self-explanatory. If you come, if you go after something, make sure you know what you're doing and make sure you don't fumble because it could come back on you in the a, in a, in a hard way. Uh, the chicken uh, nugget monologue when they're talking about who made chicken nuggets and they're saying that, hey, the guy who made the chicken nuggets, he probably invented it, but McDonald's is making all the money off of it. Right? And that's something we may need to study in the next episode. Uh, this is This is something that I want to pull up because this is going to be the theme for our season. We're building something here, detective. We're building it from scratch. All the pieces matter. That's what we're doing on this particular podcast. We're building something here. We're building something here. Let's see if we can uh, pull that up on, on YouTube. All the pieces matter. Let's see if we can get that quote from The Wire. Yeah. One of ours on the line. Cop. Is Carf still there? Hold a sec. Carf, call for you. Yeah, hello? You ain't gonna believe who I'm looking at right now. Again, he walks off? Being round three. Non-pertinent. No drug talk? They use codes to hide their patron phone numbers. And when someone does use a phone, they don't use names. And if someone does use a name, he's reminded not to. All of that is valuable evidence. Of what? Conspiracy. Conspiracy? We're building something here, detective. We're building it from scratch. All the pieces matter. All the pieces matter, yeah. What we're building on this season of How to Acquire Podcasts and every other season, all the pieces are going to matter. 
Uh, you can't even call this shit a war. Why not? Wars end. Great quote. This is America, man. First, first, uh, first scene from The Wire. I'm not even going to spoil it for you. Go watch The Wire and you'll see. Uh, so those are the 15 best quotes from The Wire. I wanted to share that maybe on the next uh, episode. We'll talk about some other shows and some of the quotes and how it relates to business and investing. Uh, but I'm really excited about uh, this season. Uh, let's stay connected. And if you love the work that we're doing, make sure you reach out. Let's connect and uh, let's get you uh, in position to learn how to acquire. And um I'm out. I'm out. I appreciate you. I'm Derek Moultrie with Acquisitions Network. I'll talk to you soon.